All right, church, go ahead and pull out your uh, worship guide notes and your Rock Church pen. Uh, that's just a way for you to keep track with where we're going this morning. As I said, uh, for those of you who are new here, thanks for being here. Uh, we are in part two of a four-part series called From This Day Forward. Can everyone say From This Day Forward? Come on, church. I know it's cold outside. Everyone say, from this day forward. From this day forward. For those of us who are married, that's a very similar, familiar term uh, that most of us know. From this day forward is a term uh, that those uh, who are married, it's super familiar. Uh, and it kind of goes along something like this, you know, to have and to hold from this day forward. Who remembers that in their vows? Everyone who's married here, you should be raising your hands right now. You should be remembering your vows. Uh, and so from this day forward, and we say that, and on the day of the wedding, uh, you know, it's, it, I don't know for your wedding, but my wedding was just a full-blown rush. I, I, I barely remember anything, uh, just because it, was, it, was, it, it went so fast. I kid you not. And I can tell you my whole story. In fact, I can, because it's, <laughs> it, it, from the day that I found Jill, and she found me, we started dating from the day we got married, was a matter of, I would say, about nine months. And uh, it was, went very, very fast. And so we have the, the whole season of our dating uh, and being engaged and being married uh, from, the, the, from the day of marriage, it just it went so, so fast. But that was one term that I remember from this day forward. And it's such a powerful phrase because what it means is that at this point, for the rest of your future, the person you're marrying, you are mine and I am yours. And what it means is, is from this day forward, I know that in the past I've done some things. I know in the past I've messed up. I know in the past I may have messed around. I know in the, my past I've got some skeletons in the closet. But from this day forward, I'm yours and you're mine. And the reason why we're talking about this, church, is because for so many marriages, whether it's Christian or not Christian, from this day forward is a concept that we tend to lose. It's a concept that we kind of throw out the door. It's kind of like when I feel like it, I'm yours and you are mine. It's kind of like when, 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 I, when I want to love you, then I will love you and you'll love me. From this day forward, it's actually a concept I think is lost and forgotten. Uh, more times than not, uh, we, we don't move on from this day forward. In fact, we kind of focus on from this day, the past, and to the future. And I want to kind of put this in your lap this morning is what would happen in relationships if we would truly focus on from this day forward. I want to look at the theme scripture for uh, this verse. The theme scripture is found in Lamentations. Uh, I'm going to start reading. It's in your worship guide notes here, and you can follow along. But the author, he's talking about turning our focus from the past into the present, and really, more importantly, to the future. And this is what he says. Look what he says. Verse 19, he says, The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. So just as I said, the author is saying, no, I've messed up in my past. I have skeletons in my closet. There are things that I've done that I'm not really proud of. But he goes on. He starts to shift his focus a little bit. He says this in verse 21. He says, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. What does he remember? I think we should all remember this. Verse 22, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. Never ends. It's always there. It's, it's unlimited and it's unconditional. He says his mercies never cease. How many of you guys are glad that the Lord's mercies, they're brand new every single day? Like, I don't know about you, but I've already screwed up yesterday. I need to kind of live in today, and hopefully God will kind of intervene today and from this day forward. And he does that through his new mercies. When you wake up in the morning, never take it for granted. 
His new mercies are there waiting for you. He even goes on beyond that, verse 23. He says, great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. So yeah, I've made some mistakes and I have issues and I've done some things in the past that I'm not proud of. I've done some really horrible things. And every time I relive in the past, I think you guys can agree with this. If we relive in the past issues and mistakes, the future seems kind of dim. And that's such a human thing for us to do. But let me tell you how God works. It says when we come to God that he casts our sins from the east as far as from the west. He casts it to the, to the depths of the sea. Meaning this, God operates from a this day forward mentality. He doesn't remember what you've done in the past. When you come before him, he says, I forgive you and it's all gone. It's kind of like waking up and receiving a new blank slate and God says, here you go. You can start over today. I mean, how great is that? How awesome is our God that he's willing to do that? Because I don't know about you, but I have messed up so many times in my past. It would seem kind of redundant of God to every day give me a new blank slate only for me to mess it up. Newsflash, your pastor's not perfect. But God still, the very next day, I wake up and I say, God, like, I've messed up, but Lord, would you help me to be even better, to be even closer with you today, starting from today? And God says, absolutely. And guess what? It happens again the very next day. But God loves it because God operates from, a, from this day forward mentality. And that's such great news, but I think so many times that, that it's great between us and God. But what if we took that mentality to our relationships from this day forward? I am yours and you are mine. And really, that's the gist of what we're talking about over the next few weeks. We're talking about the concept from this day forward and applying it to our marriages even though it's a relationship series, everything we talk about, if, we've been, if you've been married for years, if you're just newly married, if you're engaged or you're dating or you're single and looking or you're single and you're just happy being single, this message is for you. So don't tune out because, yes, it is a relationship series, but this whole concept from this day forward, you can apply it to where you are right now. So don't tune out. Last week, we talked about seeking God, that in order to have healthy relationships, we need to be seeking God first and foremost. And we look in scriptures at Matthew where it says, if you seek God and pursue righteousness, he'll take care of you. You guys remember that? If not, go on the website, check that out. It's a really, really key verse. It builds a foundation of what we're talking about. But we know that if you, if you seek God and pursue righteousness, God will take care of you. That's scripture. Week two today, we're talking about fighting fair. That's in your notes right there. You can fill that in. That when it comes to relationships, it's not about what you do if you fight. It's about what you do when you fight. Married couples, we can agree this morning, it's not the honeymoon season forever. Right? There's going to be some scuffs. There's going to be some fights. There's going to be some heated conversations. So what do you do during those times? Is it you kind of just throw them up and get ready to kind of duke it out with your wife or your husband? Or what do you do? What do you do when you fight? Because it's not about if, it's about when it happens. And so that's what we're talking about today. Week three, next week, this is more of our spicy sermon. We're going to be talking about having fun. Fun, quotations, fun. So if you got kids, uh, I, I, I encourage you, if they're under the age of 13, take them to our Kids Rock 
uh, ministry, really, really great ministry for them. But we're going to be talking about some really great, fun things as adults when it comes to marriage. I'm actually really looking forward to preach that, guys. I'm going to be helping you out. So come here. All right. Uh, week four, uh, we're talking about staying pure and discussing how we can stay faithful in our relationships and our marriage and not quitting. Not quitting. I read a statistic last week to kind of kick this off. It says that marriages, whether you're a Christian or not, actually goes with both types of marriages, you have a 50-50 chance of your marriage being successful. 50-50 chance. And I think too many times we take that gamble while we wouldn't take that risk anywhere else in our life. I used the illustration that if we got on the plane and the pilot comes on and says, hey, we got about 50-50 chance of making this flight. Um, if not, we're either going to land or we're going to go down. What would you do? You get off that plane, right? But we, we take the same risk and gamble with our relationships. And so we're going to be talking about not quitting and staying faithful and, and staying pure. So I encourage you guys to stick with us through this series. But it's going to be a great series, and it's a series that hits a little hard, and it does hit home in our relationships. So please know, as we talk about these concepts, I'm preaching to myself because I know relationships are always meant to grow. There's actually not a point in your relationships that peaks out, or it shouldn't. There's, your relationships are always there meant to get better and better and better and better. There's never a point in a relationship that you should be been, okay, I'm good with where it's at. It shouldn't be that way. As soon as you plateau in your relationships or your marriage or you think you have, listen into this message. Because God is a relational God, and when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's never a point in my relationship with him that says, okay, God, I've had enough of you. Like, I know all that I need. I'm good to go. The same goes with our marriage. There's never enough. I want us to keep developing, keep doing those things. So today, let's talk about fighting fair. Last week, I posted on the Rock Church Facebook page. You can follow us there. Asking people to post about funny fights that they had with their spouse with a disclaimer on there that said, I will share this in my sermon. So if you posted on that, here we go. All right? So I'm going to share it a little bit. No, they're, they're all really, really funny, but I want to share a few fights with you. Uh, the first one, uh, he, this is a gentleman, he talks about, he says, arguments are never fun, so I tend to push them away afterwards to focus on the positive, not to dwell on the negative, so it kind of makes it hard. But he says, I guess the conversation that comes up the most in our home, I love how he says the conversation. It's always a conversation, right? Never a fight, never, it's always a heated conversation, is what I say. But it comes the most in our home or while shopping is how everyone hates that I'm allergic to nuts because they want peanut butter, or more importantly, Reese's but can't because of me. And he puts in parentheses, sorry, I can't control that. And so he says, my family tends to come up with plots to sneak the contraband behind me into my house, and I wonder why my throat is swelling. And so that's a little heated conversation that they have. Uh, another person shared this. He says, uh, she says, uh, she tagged her husband, but she says, my husband once told me I was doing the dishes wrong. It didn't go well. Then her husband replied, I love this, because here we have, like, the conversation, the fight happening on our Facebook page. Not really. They're doing really good. They're in marriage counseling with me. Uh, <laughs> but she says, uh, he takes uh, his wife and says, uh, she still does them wrong, but I rearrange them without complaining. <laughs> that's, uh, that's always good. Never tell your wife she's doing the dishes wrong. Never do that. Uh, this next one, she says, uh, this is another couple. She says, one time I was running late from home from work, and so I asked my husband to start supper for me by putting the hamburger in the pan. And 20 minutes later, this is what I come home to. Throw it up there. Look what he does. <laughs> I'm 
<laughs> yeah, that's not good. And she goes on, she says, I was pregnant with my daughter and I was a hormonal mess. So anyway, maybe it was blown up proportion, but it was not funny at the time. <laughs> uh, and so, and then my wife tuned in because, you know, she wants to share what we talk about and argue about. That's always good. Uh, but so she shares this. She says, the funniest argument between Pastor Vaughn and I was when I was pregnant with Aspen and we were youth pastors in Scott's Bluff. She says, our youth group thought it would be funny. It'd be a funny idea to go to our house and rearrange our whole house by putting all our furniture in different rooms. And so I remember this. I remember walking in. I had my kitchen in my living room, my living room in my kitchen, Aspen's bedroom and our master bedroom and master bedroom. And like they spent a few hours doing this. So all rearranged, right? And we come home to this. I'm like, oh my goodness, like what's going on? So anyway, she goes on. She says, well, we walk in our house at 10 o'clock at night. And I did not think it was funny at the time. And so we started to argue to discover a very frightened high schoolers hiding in our room listening. <laughs> and so I love this because this was like, I remember this. Like we go in to my house and everything's rearranged. And my wife just starts breaking down crying. And we just had a long like day of ministry, a long day of work. You guys can kind of uh, maybe sympathize with a little bit maybe. But uh, we go in and she's like, oh my goodness. And she's like, I told you to lock the door and all this stuff and all that. And I'm like, I just started, I worked a really long day, babe. And like, I can't handle this right now. She's like, I can't handle this. And you know how, you know, the conversations just kind of build up on each other, right? It's never a good place. And so I'm like, babe, you just need to go to bed and just leave me alone and all this stuff. And I didn't say babe, but I said, I said, Jill, you just need to go to bed. And it says, it's not going well. And all of a sudden I hear this little squeaky high school voice like, Pastor Vaughn, <laughs> can we go? <laughs> and out come six high schoolers that rearranged their whole deal. And so they all leave with their tails kind of tucked between their legs, and they kind of skimmy out there as fast as they could. But oh my goodness, that was definitely a fight that we had. And so, oh man, how many of you guys can say fights are bound to happen when you're married? It's going to happen. It's not an if, it's about when. So when you fight, how do you fight? How do you fight fair? A lot of fights that we have in marriage are just that. I really think that if we look back, they're actually kind of funny. But the enemy likes to have a heyday with our fights in the present. He likes to kind of throw gasoline on the fire, kind of throw a grenade in the middle of the mess of it all, and let it blow up and cause destruction. That happens whether you're a Christian marriage or not a Christian marriage. It's bound to happen. But sadly, there's a lot of marriages out there that the fights are not as funny. And they end in destruction. And so I want to let you know that no matter where your marriage is at this morning or your relationship, there is hope. There is hope. Because here's the thing, with what you're going through right now, God foresaw that a million years ago. It's not throwing him off. And so if he foresaw this, because God is a God of hope, there's hope in your relationship. There's hope. And I think we need to know that there's hope in our relationship, there's hope in our marriage. And so I think at some point, not every point should be like, like this, but we need to know how to fight fair. We need to know how to fight fair. And I want to let you know this morning that, again, no matter what condition, there's going to be hope. But you need to learn how to fight fair. So why do we fight? Let me start there. Why do, why do we fight in our marriages? Genesis 2.24, it says that God is, is such, a, he's such a, a mysterious worker that he always loves putting two polar opposite people together and expects them to work it out. 
I mean, that's how God works in, in marriages. I mean, look at Genesis, what it says. It says, uh, it says this, verse 24, this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And so that's actually the natural process, young people in the room, that it's biblical that once you're a man or a woman in our culture, it probably count when you're out of high school, entering college, but you're 18 or 19, move out of your house, get a job, start figuring things out. I know, no, no, no hold on, hold on, because, you know, we got generations clapping. I'm not going to start World War II in this place, all right? <laughs> but I want to let you know, there's a biblical process of relationship and marriage, but it starts with this, leaving your house and becoming an adult. And it starts right there. And while you do that, there's going to be time in your life where God will bring you someone in your life, a man and, or a woman will be joined together and start a new life together. And this sounds great, and it's biblical, but the problem lies is that once you're together, the way that you knew how to do life, and the way that your spouse knew how to do life is now irrelevant because you're going to have to learn how to do life together. And the reason why we fight is because we have two polar opposite personalities. You're coming together and you're trying to live life together. When you do that, friction happens, disagreements take place, and you'll see the truer side of your spouse and fights break out. And some of them, at least from the outside looking in, are kind of funny. Here's some things out of here. It says, man, I loved her from the start because she's so detail-oriented. Now she's just a control freak. <laughs> or like, I married him because he was so carefree and has this free spirit, but now he's just lazy and doesn't get anything done. You see, it, did, did any of those people change? No, that's just how they were. But now you're living life together. You're past the honeymoon in the bliss, and you're now you're trying to realize like, oh, yeah, this is who I married. <laughs> right? God has such a sense of humor, but that's what happens. That's why we have premarital counseling. <laughs> Go through that. We help you get past the honeymoon eyes and try to really see who each other, who, who they are. But that's why we fight. We, we didn't change. It's just because we come to the marriage as our true selves. And when you live with someone for a certain amount of time, you realize, okay, that's who you are. But when that friction and that fight happens, what do you do? When you spend your life with another person that is different from you, you fight. And when you fight right, there is an, actually a concept, uh, an element that I want to talk about for just a few moments. It's this concept of harmony. Harmony, you can write that down. This is how important harmony is in your marriage. And please know that you can still have conflict in your relationships, but you can still have harmony. You can still, harmony does not mean everything is perfect. Harmony means everything comes back to a balance. And so this is how important harmony is. Look at the author of Psalm. He says this. He says this in verse 1. He says, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. You can take that to your marriage. For harmony is as precious as anointing oil that's poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from the Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. Having harmony is crucial for a healthy marriage. Having harmony is important for your relationships because it brings everything back into balance that is set 
by God. Harmony is kind of like this, if you think about it. Harmony is kind of like the keel of a boat. If any of you guys who here has a boat, you understand boats. On the very bottom of the boat, there's a keel or a long board or even some cruise ships have a weight down there that no matter where the boat tips, it comes back to harmony. That even if the storms come, it can rock to the left or to the right, but it knows that it's got to come back to this point to stay upright. You see, church, we need harmony in our marriages because there's going to be a point where your marriage is going to rock to the left or it's going to rock to the right. But you have to know, you and your spouse have to know, there's a point that we need to come back to. And if you remove that harmony from your relationship, when the waves come over your marriage, it's going to capsize you. And it's not going to look pretty. We've seen it all over. But don't let that be your marriage. Have that harmony in your marriage. The problem with marriages is that we put on the gloves and we fight, but we don't come back together at the end and touch gloves. For those of you, how many of you guys have seen like a boxing match or anything like that? Like, they duke it out, and they fight, and they bloody each other's faces up. I mean, I've been, uh, to be honest, like, I like watching boxing and MMA. And so they go at each other, and they mess each other up. But at the very end, at the very end, they come back together, and they touch gloves. What does that mean? It's a mutual respect knowing that, hey, we're good. In marriages, we need that. Because we're going to fight. But what matters most is not the fight itself, but what happens after the fight. Do you come back together and touch gloves? Do you still have that harmony in your marriage? Or do you just kind of walk off kind of scoffing like, I won or I lost? Do you approach your fights that way? Because if you do, it's not going to work out. And Satan loves that and has a heyday with that because he knows that once we lose harmony in our marriage, then we begin to fight unfair. We begin to fight unfair because we fight just to win the fight. And when you do that, there are three things I want to show you really quick that I want you to see that what happens that will come out of the woodworks when you fight unfair. What happens? Number one is this. When you're fighting unfair, you realize you're fighting the wrong enemy. You're fighting the wrong enemy. Scripture says that when we fight in this world, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. You're actually fighting a spiritual fight. You're not fighting your spouse. You're fighting something much bigger than that. But so many times, Satan likes to kind of cover your eyes and try to make you think it's you versus your spouse. This is, and, and he just kind of backs off and lets you have at it. And you begin to fight unfair and you start fighting your spouse as if you're, you're fighting your enemy. Know this, your spouse is not your enemy. Your spouse is not your enemy. Don't let Satan cause division, because that's exactly what's happening in marriage. He's trying to cause division because your marriage, it's it's a a life not against each other, but it's a life with each other. But if he can try to distort that in your marriage, you let him have the upper hand in the fight. So when you fight unfair, realize that you're, you're fighting the wrong enemy. You're fighting the wrong enemy. Number two, when you're fighting unfair, you're actually driven by the wrong motives. When a healthy marriage fights, it's due to trying to stay together and trying to get the other person to to understand them. And it's actually healthy to have those type of fights. It's healthy to, to, to argue and do those things. But when you fight to win, you're fighting for yourself. And what begins to happen is while a marriage is supposed to be selfless, you're turning selfish. 
And that's an issue. When your marriage starts turning about you, you're bound to have issues. You see, the only way for a marriage to work is when you constantly lay yourself down to serve your spouse. And what happens is it's a very beautiful picture because I think what we get is like we see in Scripture, you know, wives submit to your husbands, but we miss out the whole thing like husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And so what happens with that picture, if you work it and do it beautifully in a marriage, is that you lay yourself down for your wife and you serve, and your wife does the same thing. You keep going and going, and you're, you're trying to out-compete each other, really, and serving one another and loving one another, and fighting for unity with one another. And that is a beautiful, beautiful marriage. But if you start fighting for myself and my side against my enemy, you're fighting unfair. Number three, when you fight unfair, you're actually using the wrong tactics. In the fighting world, we call it fighting dirty. You're, you're cheating, and, and it's not fair. What, what are some wrong tactics? Here's some. Uh, bring up old, dirty laundry. Using past moments to certify your argument. Now, I'm not talking about last week, because that's still fresh. I'm talking about, like, years ago. Start, you remember when you did this, so-and-so, and then you, I know what you did, you know, four years ago on the seventh day of April and all this stuff, and you pull out your little black book and start doing... Like, no, that's not good. It's a wrong tactic. Another one, uh, using scripture is a wrong. Do not use scripture to prove your point because it doesn't work out. You know, why, you know why you're using scripture? Because you think you're right. But let me tell you, I could use scripture and I could think I'm right. And at the end of the fight, you know what happens? We both think we're right. But we don't come together back in unity and develop that harmony. It doesn't work out. There was a guy who was arguing with his wife and told his wife, he says, you know, in scripture, it says it's better to live on top of a roof in the far corner than live in the home with a contentious woman. You know what she said? Get on up there. <laughs> scripture doesn't work out. Don't use scripture to argue your point. Wrong tactic. Let me also say this on a series. The Bible was never meant to be twisted and contorted to divide your marriage. Never use scripture to argue. Actually becomes very, very unhealthy. Last wrong tactic is this, the tactic of comparison. You need to be more like so-and-so. Why don't you just be more like that wife? Why can't you be more like that husband? Don't compare in your marriage. It never works out. Again, it causes division. You see, when you start fighting to, to win in your marriage, the fight is not for mutual benefit. It turns selfish, and actually, you turn on your partner, and you start fighting the wrong enemy. You fight, and you're driven with the wrong motives, and you begin to use the wrong tactics. So the question still stands, how do we fight fair? Well, actually, it's something I believe we all know. It's something that's not going to be new, and over the next few moments, I'm not going to give you something that really is going to make you, oh my goodness, I didn't know that. We know these things, but the issue is, do we practice these things? Do we put them to use? To fight fair in your marriage, it's more about being on the offensive than the defensive. It's about knowing what to do before you actually fight. And it's done by stopping, guarding, and managing. So let's kick this off at James 1, 19 through 20. The book of James was written by the brother of Jesus, and he's writing uh, this letter, and he's tasked with writing this letter to the group of Christians where they were having a hard time, and one part of the letter is talking about the concept of listening and doing what I believe of being slow to talk, quick to listen, 
slow to anger, we can take this to our marriage. So look what he says. I want to read this, and we're going to break this down. He says this. This is James talking. He says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak. If you have your Bibles, like, underline this in your worship guidance, this is very, very key. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Read it one more time. You must be all quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce. Please get this. Human anger does not produce. Do you know in our culture right now, they want you to be angry. They want you to be angry. They want you to be ticked off. They want you to just be, I can't say that word in church, but you, they just want you to be angry. Everything you see on script, everything you see on TV and, and social media, it's anger, anger, anger. It's political side against political side. It's against you, against your spouse, it's against you. It's against the older generation, against the younger generation. They just want you to be angry all the time. But this is right here. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So let's walk through this. I want to show you a few things that you can use to fight fair in your marriage. Number one is this. Stop and listen carefully. Stop and listen carefully. James says we must be quick to listen. Why? Because it's only listening that you will begin to understand your spouse, even though they might be wrong. You see the difference there? You need to understand your spouse. You need to know the reason why they feel that way. You need to understand their thought process, even though if they might be wrong. You must be quick, stop, and listen carefully. Even in the military world, uh, Sun Tzu, who wrote The Art of War, it's probably the only time I'll kind of quote a Chinese proverb, but uh, I come from a heavy military family, and so all of us, we, we've read this book. Uh, but there's one part here that's talking about understanding, listening, understanding your enemies. It says this, it says, it is said that if you know, you, if you know your enemies and know yourself, you will not be imperiled in a hundred battles. If you do not know your enemy, but do know yourself, you'll win one and lose one. If you do not know your enemies, know yourself, you will be imperiled in every single battle. See, he's, here, he's talking about his enemy. Let's kind of erase that and push that to the side. I think we can take this to our marriage with our spouses. You need to know both yourself and your spouse. If you only know yourself and your side of the argument, that's selfish. If you only understand their side, and, but you don't understand your side, that's not wise. But you need to understand each other. And you have to work at that. When we fight, we understand ourselves. But if we don't understand our spouse, it's a loss every single time. If you never seek to understand your spouse's side of the fight, you'll lose every time. Even if you walk away victorious from the argument, it's still a loss. You'll lose every single time. Proverbs 18.2, I love this. He says this. says, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. So let me say this. In your fights, if your mouth is going, and that's all that's happening, the Bible says that you're a fool because you're not seeking to understand. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a fool. I want to seek to understand my wife. Number two is this, guard my words diligently. Guard my words diligently. Once again, James says to be slow to speak. Some of us, were actually the opposite. We're quick to speak. And you are so good at this that your words leave your mouth before you have time to think about what you just said. 
right? We've been there. I have been that person. But we start just yapping, yapping away, and we don't realize what our words are doing or what they even mean. And some of us, we even get such an addiction to this that some of us, we actually kind of black out in our moments of anger, and we don't realize at all what was being said. And that's not healthy. That's not good. That's not life-giving. So we have to guard our words diligently. Too many times we, we can't treat our words like, like, like a fishing reel that we think we can cast our words out there, but we can reel them back in. That's not how it works. In fact, my wife did a really good job at this, trying to teach her, 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 uh, her, her kindergartners to talk nice. But what she did is, uh, and it's funny because I'm using this because I think adults need more of this teaching than kids. And so she had a table out, and she got this really big tub of toothpaste, and she squeezes it all out and says, these are your words coming out of the toothpaste. Now try to put the toothpaste back in the tube. It's impossible. Your words are exactly like that. In fact, when I was pastoring high schoolers and junior highers for a couple years, they would actually say something that was hurtful or, or, or bad, but they would always follow with like this, like, oh, I didn't mean that. Or I take that back. Like they can physically take the words and shove them back in their mouth. But that's not how words operate. Once they leave your tongue and you speak them out, it's life or death. And it's already out there. And so that's why scripture says you have to watch your words. You got to guard your words diligently. I love what Proverbs 18.2 says. It's not something like what my dad would tell me. He says this. He says, watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut. And you'll stay out of trouble. That's scripture. That's not some like redneck paraphrase right there that we just learned. That's like watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut. You'll stay out of trouble. It you got to do that. You want to learn how to stay out of trouble? Watch what you speak. Our words get us more in a mess than anything else that we do. You don't believe me? Watch our politicians. It happens every single time. Watch your words. Number three is this. We'll wrap up with this. Manage my anger righteously. Manage my anger righteously. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27 says this. It says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. You need to ask yourself this question. Are you controlling your anger or is your anger controlling you? Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives foothold to the devil. If you want to know how the enemy can work itself so easily into your marriage, it's through your anger. It's through your fits of rage. It's through where you just want to kind of just tick everything off and just let things fly. And you start chucking things at the wall and start calling your spouse names and just saying, I just want to end it. Or you can just walk out or, you know, I'm just tired of this. You are not in control of your anger when you talk like that. Your anger is actually controlling you. And that's just one another step that the enemy can take inside of your marriage. And that's an issue. In fact, my dad told me this before I got married. He said, never go to bed angry at your wife. Why? Why? Because letting anger sit and stew over a period is like take a ticking time bomb and it's letting sit there in a pressure cooker and just let it sit there on the heat on high and just acting like nothing is going to happen. 
But we all know that if that continues to stew and builds pressure over time, it's bound to explode. It's going to happen. And when it explodes, it's going to cause damage, not only to you, not only to your spouse, but also to your kids. More so, it's more important to do this because it causes more collateral damage in families than what we know. So you've got to manage your anger righteously. You've got to learn how to, how to, how to, how to kind of keep a rein on your anger. There are times where it's okay to get angry, but there's more times than not where it's not okay to let your anger lead your words and lead your thoughts and lead your marriage. You've got to take a hold of your anger. Because if you don't, when anger has control over you, it's called sin. It's actually something, men, tune in, that we need to come before God and repent. And more times we don't because we have this thing like, I was in the right, that's called pride, and that I don't need to do this. Again, still pride, so I don't need to repent. You've got to watch your anger. Don't let anger have control over you. For some reason, I think we get our principles of fighting from, like our, again, our politicians where we can slander all that we want. We can yell all that we want. We can be malicious all that we want. But the Bible describes something very different. James says the best way to fight fair is actually to do the opposite of what we're told to do. And that's not just in, in fighting, but that's with every area. Let me tell you, do not take your concepts of fighting in your marriage from our culture. It does not help. Don't take elements of people who've been divorced three, four, five times on how to steward your marriage. Because let me tell you, it didn't work out for them. You've got to listen to scripture. What does God say about this? What does God want me to do? And more times than not, he'll tell you to do the opposite and do exactly what we read in James. To do the, instead of trying to make your voice heard, actually be quick to listen to your spouse's voice. Instead of trying to talk and make your point and throw out those words, shut your mouth and be slower to speak. Instead of letting your anger fly off the wall and get the best of you, slow your anger down. You see, these are things that it's not, a, it's not a surprise to us. We know these things. We know that these are the things that we ought to do in our marriage. They're the right things, the right principles and concepts, but we don't practice them. So I want to encourage you this morning that when you fight in your marriage, when you fight in your relationships, and this is not just marriage, but this is also the young people. When you're fighting with your parents, parents, when you're fighting with your kids, when you're fighting with your friends, whatever you're fighting in your relationships, whatever it may be, apply these things. And you'll be surprised how a toxic relationship can turn fruitful in your life. You'll be surprised how God will work. These concepts will do a lot of good when it comes to the heated conversations in your marriage. And not only will they do a lot of good, but the bigger picture is that they'll actually bring glory to God. They'll actually bring glory to God. So here's the last point in your notes. If you can remember anything that I preached about this morning, remember this one thing, it will help tremendously is this, in times of conflict, I will fight for unity, not victory. In times of conflict, I will fight for unity, not victory. What does that mean? That means when you're fighting with your spouse, your number one concern should be, are we going to be okay? 
can I still sleep in the same bed with you after this fight? Can I still hold your hand and go on an ice cream date right after this conversation? Because if not, you're fighting for victory. Fight for unity. And more times than not, just as I read some of those silly fights in the beginning, you can look back and you'll just see how ridiculous that argument was. Well, that's okay. Because you're fighting for unity, not victory. You see, marriage is all about unity. It's about bringing that harmony back together. You can still have arguments in your marriage, but still have that unity and harmony. Trust me, as your pastor, my wife, we still fight. But the reason that we don't have outlandish fights and we yell at the top of our lungs is because we know about the concept of having harmony and the concept of fighting for unity, not victory. And sometimes, spouses, that means that even though you might be in the right, you suck it up and still say, I'm sorry. Oh, man, what would happen with our relationships if we would just do that? Because let me tell you, even though you're dying to yourself, even though you don't think you don't deserve that, let me tell you who did that for you. Jesus on the cross. He didn't deserve that, but he still died as if though he's the one that did it. You see, it comes back to the cross. It comes back to Jesus dying for your sins. The reason we do this, we fight for unity, not victory, not for just being right. It's because that's what Jesus did. Jesus was right all along, but he still died for you. Jesus could have walked out the victorious, but he wanted unity. He wanted to have relationship more than anything else. And that is why we fight for unity, not victory. In times of conflict, if you fight to only have victory on your side of the argument, you may have won that little battle but you're going to lose the war that's over your marriage. I pray that we open our eyes, we see the spiritual warfare that's going on, that we realize what's happening, and know that it's better to fight for unity and not against each other. Can we pray? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this message, and God, I know we've had some laughs and we've had some serious points, but Lord, there's a huge spiritual battle over our marriages. The enemy is trying to have a heyday and cause division, but God, I read scripture and we see the concept of marriage. Songs of Solomon is such a beautiful book and it lays out exactly what a marriage should look like. And Father, I, I know that we're not in a perfect world, so it's impossible to say we need to have a perfect marriage. But Lord, I know that while we're still in this world, we can still apply your biblical principles and truths to our marriage. Holy Father, would you just intervene in our marriages? Jesus, would you help us to, to live out what your brother James said, God, that we, that, that, that we would do, that we would guard our words, Father, that we would manage our, our, our anger, and that, Lord, that we'd be quick to, to, to listen and to listen carefully. Here's the two things I want to do this morning. There is a warfare over our marriages. If, if, if the enemy can cause destruction in your marriage, he knows that he can cause destruction in God's church because the whole thing about marriage is that that's a perfect example of what God's relationship to the church should be like. 
So this morning, if your marriage is turbulent, if your marriage is rocky, if you feel like there's no keel to the bottom of your boat, there's nothing bringing things back into harmony, I just want to pray for you. But, but I, want, I want to know who I'm praying for. No one's looking. We got the lights down. But can you be honest with yourself, saying, you know what, I need to have that harmony back in my marriage. Can you just slip your hands up? Yeah. Is there anyone else? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Put your hands down. Know this. There's at least a dozen hands raised. So know that you are not alone. Enemy's number one tactic is to make you feel like you're the only one struggling with that problem. And it's actually a very common issue. So Father, I pray that you would work in these marriages. God, I pray that you bring the harmony that would bring the balance back into the relationships. Holy Father, next time that they begin to argue and they begin to fight, Lord, I pray that they wouldn't use the wrong tactics that we discussed about, but, Father, that they would be the things that we talked about in James. That, Father, that they be that beautiful image trying to outserve each other and try to outlove each other. God, that at the end of the day, they fight for unity, not victory. God, I know if we can work on our marriages and we can do our best with your Holy Spirit's job, God, that it, it can be a, a witness to those who are far from you about what you're up to in the church. You see, it's much bigger than our marriages. It's all about pointing people to you. So God, I pray that you would intervene in these marriages. They need harmony, Lord. I pray that they would establish that harmony. Lord, if their marriage is about to end, God, I pray your spirit would intervene and that you would speak life into that. And know this. It's so easy to say the Christian cliches, oh, just pray about it. Pray through it. I heard from a pastor yesterday that the answer starts with Jesus and ends with Jesus. But in between, there's a lot of great things that Jesus can work through, like counselors, mediators, people that you can actually run to and talk to. That's okay. That's not shameful. That's actually very healthy. So I encourage you to do that because Jesus works through all ways. Here's the second thing. If you're sitting here saying, do you know what? Like, I know Jesus died on the cross and he did it not for, for his own selfish reasons, but he actually did it for a very selfless reason that it's actually one of the few things that he did it for unity, but he also came out of it victorious. And I want a relationship with him. Let, let me tell you, we're talking about relationship. The best relationship that you could start out with right now is not someone else. It's not something, but it's actually Jesus Christ. That is the best relationship decision that you can make. If you're sitting here and saying, you know what, I, I want that relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to start that today. From this day forward, I want to walk with Jesus Christ. If that is you, we just slip your hand up. I just want to pray for you. Is anyone, is anyone here? Yeah. Awesome. Father. I pray, even those who may have not raised their hands, God, that if we do not have harmony with you, God, that we start from this day forward to establish that in our life. And it can start with a prayer to say something along the lines of, God, would you forgive me? Make me a new creation. From this day forward, Lord, I'm going to be walking with you. I'm not leading this life you are. Thank you, God. And start walking that way. Jesus, I thank you for this message. I thank you for the great things that you're speaking to us. 
God, I pray from this day forward that we would realize that you are a God that operates from a from this day forward mentality. God, you don't focus on the past. You don't focus on the wrong things that we've done. But if we come to you, it says in Scripture, that you forget those. You toss that into the winds and just let them go. And you focus on what we can do today and into the future. And for that, God, we say thank you. In your holy and mighty name, everyone in the Rock Church says, amen. Amen, amen.